Everyone we hire has to be excited about technology. I mean, I, I describe FT Live as a digital first business now, even though we're, we're back to fully running face-to-face conferences. The reality is that all our events are, are hybrid and all our events are digital. This is The Talent Show, a new podcast series from FT Talent, a hub of innovation from the Financial Times. It's hosted by under-30s for the under-30s around the world. This second series is about all the aspects the FT organization is covering today, from editorial to development, from data to talent. I am Virginia Stagni, and this is a guide we designed to inspire you to be the one driving innovation and change. Welcome to the show. Hi, everyone. Another episode of Italian Show today. And I'm very excited to have uh, here at Bracken House Orson Francescone. Hi, Orson. Hello. How are you? Good afternoon. How are you? I'm very, very good. Uh, Orson is the managing director of FT Live. I'm very fascinated about how you got into the media industries from uh, another angle that is uh, uh, the, the one, of course, that is more like a commercial, uh, is managerial, is uh, events, uh, is, is something a bit different that definitely brings revenues and growth to the news industry. Orson, how did you start uh, your career? How your passion for the news started? Uh, would you like to walk us through? Yes. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. It's very exciting to be here. Um, so I, um, and I'm, for those of you wondering, I'm Irish-Italian. You might hear an Irish accent and you'd be wondering, why does he have an Italian name? So that's, that's kind of my background. Um, I uh, did a little bit of journalism when I finished my schools in Italy and I qualified as a journalist in Italy. So I'm a member of the Ordine dei Giornalisti in Italian. And so if you write a certain number of articles in Italy, you can essentially join the journalist skills in Italy. And I, I did journalism at school. So it was very kind of... Um, kind of fun type journalism, a student newspaper type, type journalism. Um, I then moved to Ireland to study uh, for my degree and I studied economics and I was, I was in Dublin for four years uh, and then I moved to London to study for a master's in economics. And so <clears throat> I was convinced that I was going to be an economist. I mean, that was my kind of tra- career trajectory. Um, and then, you know, things happened in my life and suddenly I decided that I wanted to kind of get a job rather than go down an academic career. Um, and I was living in London in a small flat and I needed to pay my rent. And a recruiter one day said to me, listen, do you want to go for an interview? It's this uh, financial publishing company. They, they, they need somebody in their research team. Uh, it's to do with something to do with banking, finance and research. I said, well, that sounds interesting. I studied economics and I like research. Um, and so I ended up interviewing for a company called Euromoney Institutional Investor, which was a quite well-known financial publishing company. And the job I was interviewing for, which I didn't realize at the time, was for what we call conference producers. And essentially, these are the people who research and write conference programs uh, and then invite speakers to speak at conferences. And, and the B2B information uh, sector was going through a boom. So we're, we're talking about roughly 2005, and in particular... Uh, a lot of B2B media was moving from print to digital and a lot of advertising revenue was being lost in that transition. Um, and that meant that B2B events actually started sucking up some of that advertising revenue that used to go in print and wasn't translating very well in digital. And so suddenly you had this kind of booming of the B2B conference industry. At the same time, there was a boom in the capital markets industry and leverage finance industry. So this is pre-crisis, really. And so 
Um, and so it was an incredible experience because Euromoney would send me in every corner of the world where they thought there was an opportunity to research new conference topics. The main takeaway from that experience was really getting me to think like a, a business owner and how to run a business. And so we we're constantly looking at our revenues, constantly looking at our costs and our profits. And, and Euromoney had this great, it was, it was a great learning school. It taught lots of young people how to run a business. Um, and then I slowly ended up, you know, managing a portfolio of events and a portfolio of topics and a, a team of people and slowly made kind of my way up into the kind of man managerial ladder, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but they were very formative years, I guess. And, and so I've always, the, the learnings that I, I took from your money, I've always brought with me in my career. Do you feel yourself a bit as a diplomat uh, within the FT or um, what are the soft skills that maybe you needed to uh, carve a little bit more compared to other jobs? What were maybe uh, from a personal growth perspective, things that you needed to work on a little bit? So I would certainly say I don't think people would describe me as a natural diplomat, um, although I think I've, I have developed a lot, lots of diplomatic skills in my career, and especially at the FT. Uh, and so um, I guess I, sp I spend a lot of, lot of my days uh, with colleagues from the newsroom, uh, more on developing new ideas or, or enhancing existing ideas. And listen, the reality is we have a very successful portfolio of events, and it's very profitable. And so... Profits are, are not the only thing, obviously. And so the quality of the experience has to be incredible. You know, we are a premium brand and our customers rightly expect a, a premium experience. And also the quality of the speakers is absolutely paramount. So that's what we're famous for, right? You know, we, we are able to bring in some incredible speakers and incredible content. But a lot of the, these events now have become news generating events. We would not launch any new events without deeply involving the relevant editor in whatever sector that, that event is. And in fact, I've just come back from Lausanne where we ran our commodities, Global Commodities Summit, which is probably our most famous and successful event. And that, and, and, and not coincidentally, that event has a deep involvement of that whole editorial team in the, uh, in the commodities, energy and mining. And so we know that, that events that have a deep involvement of the newsroom tend to be more successful on all metrics, not just profits around uh, COVID and the COVID experiences, you need to move and switch all your business into a virtual one for good 24 months or even a bit more. How did you approach this? Because your division was all based on... Uh, physical events. Physical events. Yes. And then it's like, switch all the business yes. in uh, two weeks. <laughs> well, I, I, I think, and I've thought about this a lot, as you might, might imagine, but one of the big factors is that I had just joined the FT in November 2019. And, and there was a real sense of personal survival. And I, I remember vividly thinking, gosh, I could be out of a job in the next couple of months because essentially... Events are dead, the world is in lockdown, there's no need for this division, there's no real prospect of this changing anytime soon. Remember, these were the days where we thought vaccines would take two or three years. Uh, and that survival instinct, um, I remember, kind of drove me to think, well, there's got to be a different way. Um, and without going into the details, we've very successfully transitioned the, the business into a 100% digital business, essentially. And so, you know, in... in in March 2020, our CEO asked me to give him a, a kind of worst case scenario. And, and the worst case scenario was essentially that the business would, would produce you know, clo close to zero revenues and, and a huge loss. 
because you know we weren't weren't able to run any events, and then we ended up closing that year with with a lot of revenue and and in profit, which was pretty incredible, really. Do you have uh, any perspective on uh, artificial intelligence and how this can affect your business? So I'm very excited about artificial intelligence, and um, and I'm one of those people who believe that it's probably by and large a good thing. Now. We're in its infancy and there are lots of questions that are arising in terms of privacy, security, safety. And these are all legitimate questions. But and how am I going to write it in a positive way and get, get opportunities out of it? Listen, in particular, I think I see a lot of applications, uh, certainly for us uh, in our marketing team, just very excited in terms of efficiencies, in terms of you know proofreading copy or optimizing copy. Uh, it seems to be, you know... A, played a little bit with ChatGBT. It seems to be great at, at that, those sorts of tasks. Then there are more advanced tasks in our data team, which I'm quite excited about in terms of data processing. Um, I'm also spotting pain points for our customers in their digital journey and how we can help them with that. Um, being a media company, obviously there, there is some uh, um, kind of fear that, that this may start impacting our newsroom and our editorial work. And obviously these are legitimate concerns and because... You know, people come to us for our content. It's very important that our original content is 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 kind of what is what makes our brand. Um, but I'm very excited. Uh, and on top of that, obviously, we're launching an an, an event about AI as well, and be, be, because there's an obvious opportunity there. But but I, I guess I'm more interested and more excited about the opportunity in terms of the efficiencies that it can provide in our processes. So uh, in terms of your talent, so people that you are hiring and looking to hire, um, I guess, of course, you were saying like uh, your team has a lot of uh, complexity in the operation side, logistics, of course, because you need to run at the, at the same time multiple events. Um, uh, my question is, with the rise of these new technologies, um, are you thinking about any new talent to bring into your team? Yeah, good question. Um, so... Uh, everyone we hire has to be excited about technology. I mean, I, I describe FT Live as a digital first business now, even though we're, we're back to fully running face-to-face -face conferences. The reality is that all our events are, are hybrid and all our events are digital. Um, and the numbers we're still getting on digital events are really, really exciting. You know, we're still getting really big numbers. Um, and so I'm very much a digital first kind of guy. And so anyone who joins FT Life has to believe in the power of technology as, as a minimum. Um, ideally, be well-versed in also product management, product development, what agile is and the agile concept. Um, and so these are the questions I'm beginning to ask in, in interviews more. I mean, we, we hire for all sorts of roles, from content to sales to marketing to operations. But I think we're at a stage now where anyone joining a digital media business has to be well-versed in, in the world of technology and digital. And so um, that's probably one of the biggest things that I'm seeing that's different to, say, four or five years ago. Yeah. You know, if you're hiring an events operation manager, they didn't need to be digitally kind of enabled or, or trained, but actually now everyone needs to understand technology. So, uh, Orson, I think what is so interesting about your career journey is, like, you started with a very traditional mindset, and uh, you are switching it into an uh, entrepreneurial business view of journalism. Um, if you had to think about like one piece of advice you would give to your younger self when uh, you started, um, what would that be? Interesting question. And so I think fo follow, follow your instincts a bit more. And so I guess um, I, remem I remember on the 
the whole crypto stuff. So I'm fascinated by the whole crypto industry. At the beginning of the the crypto boom, I remember thinking, oh, maybe I should invest some money in Bitcoin. And then I was and then I was a bit. I was, and my instinct said to me, you know, put some money in, put some money in. I remember talking to a friend saying, oh no, it's gonna, it's, it's a scam. Don't put money in. And then, you know, obviously, if I put money in Bitcoin, you know, who, who knows where it'd be now. But um, um, so I guess, well, so that's a rule about following your instincts a bit more. And obviously, you need to be careful about following your instincts because I've learned in my career that they're not always correct. And so, you know, I'm Irish Italian, so I'm an instinctive person by nature, right? Um, and especially when it comes to people, you know, I, I like to think I've got a good eye for people in terms of understanding uh, people's strengths and weaknesses. But I think in my career, I've made a couple of mistakes. And I've always said to myself, you know, you may be right seven times out of 10, but those three times you're not right, you know, maybe, you know, follow your instincts, but also be careful. And so maybe, you know, spend another night before you make a big decision, I guess. You manage a lot of people. What's the kind of culture that you're trying to to build for FT Live? It, again, just a reminder, is not the newsroom, is not 100% commercial. Just Correct. We, stra- we straddle these two worlds, right? Yeah. So um, I'm a big fan of the concept of high-performing teams. And so uh, some of you on, on this pod- podcast, if you haven't heard of Tuckman's Stages of Team Development, then Google Tuckman's Stages of Team Development. And they're the f- famous forming, storming, norming, performing. Um, and I've seen this happen so many times when I've taken over teams or businesses. And I, c- I can honestly say now that we are on a high performing um, uh, part of, the, of our journey. And so um, I think high standards and excellence is one of the kind of biggest values, I guess, that I, that I instill in the team. Because there's nothing worse working in an environment where kind of me- mediocrity is kind of accepted. And everybody wants to work for a winning team, right? Everyone wants to play for a winning team. And so, you know, but transitioning from, from you know, a not-so-winning team to a winning team can be painful, right? Um, but I've, I've seen this happen so many times that once you make that transition, it becomes such a great place to work mm-hmm. because essentially now we're in a high-performing kind of stage of team development. I can now step back a bit more. The expectations are unbelievably clear. The strategy is super clear. Um, we've got incredible talent. Everybody knows what they're meant to be doing on a daily basis. Um, and, and I guess we're winning, right? And so, and success breeds success. And people love working in a successful environment. And so while it might be, uh, while I start, our standards might be incredibly high, which means that we put a lot of pressure on ourselves and we work unbelievably hard, um, I know for a fact that people would prefer that environment to an environment where, you know, pressure might be a little bit less, but actually we're kind of bumbling along and we're not we're not doing fun and exciting things. And so that's the that's the kind of culture. So high performing culture, you know, ultimately people also need to enjoy their jobs. Right. And so we have lots of fun and we laugh a lot at the FT and an FT live. Um, But everyone is very clear in terms of expectations and standards. And that's really important for me. So a special part of this podcast is bringing um, two uh, FT talent uh, alumni and challengers into the podcast studios to ask uh, uh, you the questions they would like to know more about your career and path. Teresa and Nitish, welcome to the podcast studio. So Riza, what's your question? And I'm like, what's your background? So my name is Riza and I'm a student at University College London. I study history, politics, economics, and I'm a second year now. So I've worked in the marketing industry for a while now. 
for about two years. And um, I work as a youth marketing assistant at a marketing agency. I'm the president of the marketing society at UCL. So, so in you, my... you have a job while you're studying as well? Yes. Wow, congratulations. Yeah. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, so, yeah, I've worked with a lot of agencies and companies, and I'm starting to realize that um, CSR, which is Corporate Social Responsibility, is gaining increasing importance nowadays. And for a media company like Financial Times, they have a significant impact on public opinion. And for them, engaging in the CSR activities can demonstrate their commitment to um, responsible journalism and ethical business practices. So my question is, how does FT Live approach sustainability and corporate responsibility in its events? And how would you ensure that the environmental impact is minimized? Very good question. Um, and, and so we know that this is a big topic. We run lots of events on this topic, actually. And so obviously we need to make sure that we also play our part. Well, the biggest change we've made is that um, one of the other benefits of COVID is that, of course, we turned our you know analog business, which was a physical infrastructure event business into a completely digital business and so uh, so for two years we didn't travel we didn't hire big convention centers and hotels we you know moved all our business online and while we have returned back to some in-person events the you know big part of our business is still a digital business and so our carbon footprint has come come way down and when we do run events in physical format we're very careful about um, a, vetting our suppliers, B, making sure there's no waste. So essentially we don't print anything anymore. So, you know, back in the days you used to print lots of paper at events. So we have a no print policy. And so everything is now digital. And again, probably thanks to COVID, we now use event apps or event technology, which allow us to send lots of information in terms of delegate lists and connecting one-to-one -one with other delegates in a digital environment. And so we're very careful about our carbon footprint, even when we do go online. Uh, another, another, I'll give you an example, actually. We, I am, tomorrow, I'm interviewing at the FT a disability, disability rights campaigner called Millie. And Millie attended one of our events uh, a few months ago, and she didn't have a great experience. She, Millie's a wheelchair user. Um, and, and it was a real, really important moment for us because... Um, I was really sad when I spoke to Millie the day after the event and she essentially contacted us to tell us that her on-site experience wasn't very good. She didn't feel well looked after. Uh, it was a very difficult environment for her as a wheelchair user. It, this was a big awards ceremony at the Natural History Museum. And for a variety of reasons, we didn't, we didn't perform as well as we could have. And so we've now established a great relationship with Millie. She's coming in to talk to us tomorrow at the FT. I'm going to interview her. And I'm going to interview her about how life is with a disability and how difficult it can be. And so we're raising issues that we never had to think about before. And so people with disabilities and events have always had a difficult, difficult time, really. Just another example of kind of how we take CSR and how what we do on a day-to-day -day basis, I guess, is thinking of people who trying to make our events accessible and welcoming for all. And that's something that we might necessarily have thought about up until recently. Nitish, your question. Great. Um, thank you today for your time. And thank you for having us at the uh, historic FT office. Uh, so uh, I'm Natish. I study economics at UCL. Uh, I currently work at SMBC Nikko Capital Markets in the derivatives division uh, in sales and trading. So uh, to preface, um, during COVID, we were forced into online-only conferences. And these were really good in terms of how much data we could get out of these conferences. And they were great in terms of viewerships. Uh, I personally also attended the FD uh, Global Boardroom, which was absolutely fantastic. Now, on the other hand, in-person conferences had multiple touch points for clients and attendees, and they created opportunities for networking. Now, onto the question, 
how do you see hybrid fitting into this picture? Especially because hybrid is supposed to be the best of both worlds, but often it ends up as a poor compromise with a bit of an identity crisis. Very good question. So as, I, as I've mentioned before, I'm a kind of digital first kind of guy, right? And so when, when the pandemic ended, some people in the team said, oh, can we stop doing digital events and just go back to what we were doing before? Because, you know, these digital events are a lot of work and expensive and we just prefer running physical events. And, I, you know, I knew from the start that that was never going to happen. You know, that genie was never going to go back in that bottle. And so um, I explained to my team the benefits of keeping the digital first approach going. And primarily it, the benefits of that is, 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 a, is a reach is a reach argument, right? And so we can run our global commodities event in Lausanne where we usually get four or 500 very senior decision makers. But at the same time, we had more than 2,000 people register digitally. And so these are people who most probably would never have come in person anyway. And they might come in person in future years. Having attended digitally, they might think, you know what, you know, and so they can also act as a marketing funnel. But also... It allows us, uh, as I said before, to, you know, bring our brand in every corner of the world. And I can see who attends our events. And I see people in Papua New Guinea, in Australia, in Japan. And I just think it's incredible. I mean, the reach that the, that our brand is getting is incredible. And so the, the first point I want to make is that all our events are still digital slash hybrid. Uh, now, you ask a very good question. How can you network really digitally? You have to meet in person. I, I think there's a lot of element of truth of that. And so, you know, the physical... Um, meeting is really, really important. And what, what you can do in person is very different to what you can do online. But, you know, the, the answer to your question is, is is technology. And so thanks to technology, we can do both. And so now we are rolling out a system across all our events where you can network with fellow attendees either before the event, during the event, or after the event. And so uh, people who are in Papua New Guinea can message people who are in Lausanne uh, people who are in Lausanne can message people who are in the same conference room, um, and people in Lausanne can message people who are in Japan even after the event. And so, the great thing about technology is it enables us to keep those that networking uh, either in person or or digitally. And and we're seeing that people are doing a bit of both actually. And also that you know th this generation, you guys are digital first generation, right? And so, and so for you this is normal, right? Yes. So and for the next generation will be even more normal. Um, and so to, to think that we would now run an event that it, that doesn't have a digital component to me makes no sense, right? And so, uh, and so that's very exciting because you know new opportunities come out come out every day out of new technologies. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for your questions. Thank you, and uh, thank you, Orson, so much for this. I really appreciate you walking us through so many different aspects of uh, uh, your journey. So thanks for being with us, thank you. and uh, thank you thanks so for your time. All right. This has been The Talent Show, which is produced by the FT Talent team, Aya Al-Shihabi, and me, Virginia Stani. Our podcast producer, editor and sound engineer is Arturo Ochoa, and our social media producer is Letizia Clementi. Our music is by Dennis Kishuk. Check out all of the Talent Show episodes at fttalent.ft.com, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and follow FT Talent on socials for updates. Until next time, and keep listening. Keep listening.